Get your Bible if you got it with you. Pull it up on your phone. If you got it memorized, congratulations. Uh, I'm going to be in Philippians 2, and then we're going to park in John 13. Philippians 2 and John 13. We're going to use Philippians as a springboard into an idea I want to give you quickly. Um, the more you help me preach, the quicker I'll get through this material. Um, usually I get up here and lie and say, I just got a little something I want to give you. I got a lot I want to say. Um, it's good content. It's going to be good pastoring. Uh, I'm preaching to a. Ch I'm preaching to the church. Uh, if you're in the room and you know you've given your life to Christ and you want to follow Him, whether or not you've done it uh, well, whether or not you've been serious or committed, I want you to pay attention um, because I, I think this is going to help you. If you're a member of New Grace and you call this church home, I want you to put your satellites up. And uh, I want to I give you a word. Philippians 2, the Bible says in verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any bowels and mercies, because if any of this is in you, Paul says, I want you to fulfill my joy. My joy for you at the church of Philippi, my joy for all of you believers, and I get it, I... I I feel his heartbeat right here. This is, a, this is a, the words of a true pastor. Fulfill you my joy, because this would be a joy to me, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He goes on to expand this thought, and he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But all the things you're going to do do it in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That doesn't mean get in everybody's business. It means put other people's needs before your own. That's what it means. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want you to look at verse number seven again. Jesus made himself of no reputation, and Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. He took upon him the form of a servant. Very quickly before we get to the book of John, Jesus, as God, became man. There is no mind or brain in this room that can really understand or comprehend that reality, but God decided to become a man, and his name was Jesus Christ. This was God taking him and his divine essence and pouring himself into the form, the mold, the likeness of mankind. Think of loose 
sand. Think of loose beach sand. It has no form nor shape. It's just a lot of loose sand. But you take that loose sand and you pour and pack it in to a plastic sandcastle mold. And after you've poured and packed that loose sand into that sandcastle mold, you can turn that thing over. You can take the mold off and now you have the form of that sandcastle. The, the Bible says that God poured himself into the mold of a man, and that man was Jesus. And that when he did that, Paul tells us that that was the form of a servant. We must remember now that man was originally formed in the image of God. Somebody say amen. Now, we know the story. Mankind lost that likeness when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. Christ comes along, and Christ is everything that God intended for man to be. And Jesus broke the mold of man's sinful state by keeping the law, fulfilling the commandments. And God, as man, he was perfect. He was sinless. And the Bible says that he became the sacrificial substitute for man's sin, and he died and rose again, thus giving every one of us the ability to be conformed to his image and to his likeness. That's why we learn in Romans 8, 28, 29, that we are being conformed into the image, the likeness, the mold. We are being conformed now to the form of Christ. I want you to get this. Jesus demonstrated in his earthly ministry, and we get a front row seat in all four of the gospels. We get a front row seat to watching him demonstrate a good form, and that form being the form of a servant. And the Bible says that we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now, if Christ came in the form of a servant, what do you think we are being molded into? What is the loose sand of our character, the loose sand of our personality, the loose sand of our past, present, and future being poured into the mold of? It's being poured into the mold of the likeness of Christ, which is the form of a servant. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to work on your form. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, I'm going to work on my form. I'm going, to work, I'm going to work on my form. I'm working on my form. Now, here's what we're going to do very quickly. I want to teach you today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some examples of where Jesus demonstrated a good form, demonstrated his servanthood. Now, I could, I could just flip anywhere to the pages of red and find a great example and demonstration of where Christ had good form. I want to look at John 13 because I believe John 13 is one of the best examples of where Jesus demonstrated good form outside of his death. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter 13 of John, look, I love this story. Check this out. It's loaded with good material. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper, this is what you and I know as the last supper, supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself, after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is a rather intriguing scene, isn't it? We have the master of the universe, the king of all creation, who when supper is over, he gets down out of his seat, he changes clothes, girds himself in a towel, and begins to wash the feet of his followers. Jesus demonstrates the true form of a servant by getting down and washing the feet of his disciples. So ladies and gentlemen, for the next few moments, let's get some information that can be inspiration. And I want every single man and woman in this room that is a believer in Christ and a follower of God, I want you with me for the next few months. We're gonna work on our form and we're gonna do it over the summer because when the fall comes and everything is falling back into place, we are going to be ready because we are going to make changes in July that will benefit us in September. I want to work on our form, and I want to do that. And look, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to implement a few attributes that Jesus demonstrates and the form of a servant. In verse number one, the Bible said, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world under the Father. I love this. Look at this. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved. Everybody say love. love. Everybody say love. love. One more time. Everybody shout love. love. He loved them unto the end. Like Jesus did, we must love with a servant's love. We must love with a servant's love. The Bible says that Jesus loved his own. This love is the Greek word agapeo, which means he loved them with a pure, unblemished, untainted, uncorrupted love. Jesus loved his own with a pure love. A servant's love is a pure love. When you love someone from the heart of a servant, you don't love them with strings attached. There's no what can I get out of this. There's no what's in it for me. When you love someone from a servant's heart, you love them with a very genuine, pure love. It's not tainted and it's not tarnished. But if you look a little closer, the Bible says that he loved his own and he loved them, watch this, unto the end. He loved them unto the end. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Servant's love is not just a pure love. It's a permanent love. He loved them unto the end. Didn't Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 13 that charity, love, endures all things, bears all things? You know what that really means in our English vernacular? Love will put up with it. Love will put up with, notice what he said, all things. There's just some things I can't put up with. Well, you probably don't love them. Your love is probably not pure and is obviously not permanent because my Bible tells me that when Jesus loved his own, he loved them to the finish line, loved them unto the end. We know that God loves us with a permanent love. Well, I can't love nobody like that. Well, be careful what you say. Be careful what you say because my Bible tells me that God has given you a new heart and Paul tells us to let the mind of Christ be in a let. That means it's you. It's up to you and I to let that mind, to let that kind of love flow through us. And servants love people with a permanent love. It's not about loving people that are easy to love. When people are easy to love, that's easy to do. 
Sometimes your love is measured by the people you love when they're not easy to love. Servants sometimes have to love difficult people. Now, I know some of y'all don't know no difficult people. But in, in, in my tenure as a pastor, not just here, but in my history of the ministry, I have, God has taught me how to love some difficult people. I mean, as a young, young pastor, and I'm considered young, a lot of people hear me say that, a lot of pastors who are twice my age hear me say that, and they think, you are a young pastor. Well, I'm referring to when I was 22, when I started my first, I was married with a child, I, I had a church, I was 23, 24, I had men who were 65 that called me pastor. I've been doing this for a long time, and I, I didn't do it as good, as well, as seasoned, and as patient as I do now, because I went to the school of hard knocks for a few years and realize that loving people is hard to do, especially when the people are hard to love. And I've got, I've got some experience loving difficult people. And God, God kept me in check, right? He kept me in check by allowing me to love and serve difficult people. I could, I, could, I, could tell you, I could tell you stories upon stories of, of God teaching me as a pastor and a leader how to serve people that were hard to love. I remember there was a family that they, would have, they wanted to have me and my wife over every single Sunday for lunch. And I did not realize. I thought they were just lavishing. An older couple, very, very old, 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 been in church, been in church decades upon decades. I had no idea the reason they wanted to have us over for lunch is because they had been having us for lunch way before we ever showed up. We were the topic of every table discussion. I had no idea that they were going to use that as an agenda that they brought us in there with strings attached. I had no idea she was fattening me up with buttermilk biscuits and her husband was trying to inflate my ego about how I was the best preacher outside of Billy Graham he'd ever heard. And I, I, I didn't have any idea that they were just getting close so they could suck some blood out of my neck and stab me in the back. I had no idea they were buttering me up so they could toss me in the fire and cook me on both sides. I didn't know that they would, you know, you know how them people are. They will, they will hug you and they will whisper in your ear, I got your back. And they do got your back because they're looking to get your back. You know what I'm talking about? I had to love difficult people. I had, I had to love a man, and I loved him, and he would take me out to lunch. He'd come up and hug my, I mean, I'm talking about old-fashioned old church, old-fashioned ways of doing church, old-fashioned ways of loving the preacher and taking care of the preacher, coming up and putting a $100 bill in your hand, a hug in your neck, and say, I, God told me to give this to you. I had you on my mind this week. I love you. Just keep on keeping on. I know it's hard. And then every now and then, he'd pass me in the lobby, and he'd say, you know, if you keep saying we want drug dealers and drug addicts and we want prostitutes, Prostitutes and all these people, you keep saying that you want these people to show up here, you know they're gonna actually start showing up here. And I'm like, you ain't getting it, Dad Gummit. You are in this church, but this church ain't in you. You don't get it. Loving difficult people. I, I had I had to love crazy people, lunatics. I got they got a radar, and I'm like this, I, I, I'm a magnet, man. I just attract crazy. I had, I mean, I, I can tell you, I crazy guy, he never got it. We could put him in any, we put him in the lobby to greet people. We could make him an usher. No matter where we put him, he just wanted to find me. His agenda was, I want to find him. I could get done, and we told him, hey, the care room downstairs is for the pastor and the care team to welcome all the first-time guests. That's what it's for. Don't come down there and hit me up when I'm trying to talk to first-time guests. That's the priority. We're trying to serve and love and connect with these people. This is an opportunity from God. He never 
forgot it. He'd figure out a way to come down there. He'd say, Pastor, I got to tell you. He'd have a big old huge family Bible in his hand. I got to tell you something. Me and my wife were fighting yesterday. She put me outside and I slept in the truck, but it's all right. Because when I woke up, I saw the feet of Jesus. Really? Did they look like brass? Because that's what John said in Revelation. Did he have an ingrown toe? Now what it looked like? Crazy stuff. Robbie was, Robbie was uh, the executive pastor at the time with me, and Robbie had to deal with crazy too. I remember Robbie getting blessed out by this woman because she, her job was every time we baptized somebody, wash the towels. That was her job. Take the towels home and wash them. And Robbie made the executive move of Leadership 101 and delegated that opportunity to another individual in order to give this girl a promotion to graduate her out of the cloth and the garments and to give her an opportunity to do something else. And he was making that move. And boy, she hemmed him up, blessed him out. You took my towels from me. That's my job. She, I mean, did everything but cuss him, slap him. I mean, just, he, and you know what? She wanted to do it to me, but he got in the way and took it for me so I didn't have to get crucified. I'm so glad and thankful God will put people like that in your life that'll bite the bullet and jump on the bomb for you. God threw us to the wolves years ago, teaching us how to love and serve difficult people. And I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Difficult people are often the hot coals that keep your love pure. They, they're, 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 an, their antagonistic ways are the hot flames that keep your love pure and permanent. And servanthood was supposed to be fueled by a heart of love. Not law, because it got to. Not lordship, because it feels good when people grab, you know, gravel at my feet. Not leadership, because John Maxwell said it, and it works if you do it. Love. Because I just love people. Whether you're easy to love, you're hard to love, whether you're difficult or you're dumb, it doesn't matter. I love, I'm just going to love you. That's, that's the mentality that Christ had to have in the form of a servant. The Bible says in verse number four that he, after it says he loved them, now he gets into the story and John tells us that Jesus gets up from supper. supper he lays aside his garments. He takes a towel. He girds himself. And after that, he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So you don't just love where the servants love. Secondly, what Jesus did, we must do, live where a servant lives. Live where a servant lives. A ser servants live on a whole nother level. Now, every time in Christianity now in the 21st century, when you say, God wants to take you to another level, everybody thinks of increase. Everybody thinks of elevation. John the Baptist had this right. John the Baptist had this right as he led the way as a servant for Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. If God, hey, let me tell you something. I want, I want everybody here to listen. God wants to take you to another level. <laughs> That's a good word. God, God wants to take you to another level. Yeah, he does. Do what Jesus did and be willing to set aside your status. There's so much pictured right here because we know as God, he took, upon, he took his celestial garments, set them aside, and took on terrestrial garments when he became a man. Now it's pictured again. He takes his garments that he's wearing as Messiah, sets them aside, and girds himself in a towel. I wrote this down. Jesus was not wrapped up in himself. 
He was not wrapped up in himself because a true servant is not preference or position driven. And he was willing to set aside his status. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think you are? No, I'm not asking that like an argumentative way. Like, who do you think you are? Do you think a lot of you? Who do others think you are? Do others think a lot of you? Is it possible you could set both of those opinions aside and lower your view of yourself? Jesus did not, he was not wrapped up in himself. Rather, he got wrapped up in serving others. And the Bible says that he wrapped himself in a towel and that towel is a servant's garment and it's a picture of humility. God, we need more towels and we need less titles in the church today. We need more people driven by a spirit of humility. The fallacy of leadership is that you shine and people follow you. It's a fallacy. The validity of leadership is that you serve and then people want to follow you. Jesus positioned himself below others and he served them. I want you to see this. He gets out of his seat. Now they're still seated. He gets out of their seat and he gets at their feet. His head, the highest part of him at the lowest part of them. And now the form, the true picture of servanthood begins to emerge and Jesus gets positioned beneath the lowest part of the people he's serving. Can you put people that you think are beneath you above you? It's about to get real up in here. Can you serve someone that you don't need or you don't know? Now, many of us, we we have to opt out after question one. Can you serve someone who can't bless you or can't applaud you? Some of y'all think you want this stage. You think you want to sing up here or speak up here or preach up here or be seen up here. You think you want a position in this church and you look at the ministry and the ladders of assimilation like something you can climb to get more in the spotlight and be seen and heard. Do you have any idea what you're asking for when you get in the spotlight? You have any idea? Who do you think gets shot first? The guy back there, the guy back there, uh, you know, the water boy for the army or the, the joker out there waving the banner out, out front? Who do you think gets shot first? And when you let me tell you and when you lead, when you lead, do you think more people are going to applaud you or criticize you? There's more people that talk about me than anybody else in this church. Why did he do that? Why do you think he did? What, what are they doing over that? And every time, and, and they, and every time something's not right with this church, they attach a bald head and a beard to the problem. <laughs> they do. They do, and I'm okay with that. I got over that a long, long time ago. If you haven't noticed that, I don't care about that kind of thing. I didn't come here to do this, so you like it. There's not a suggestion box. There's not, and if there was, there would be a shredder on the other side of it. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) I don't do this for applause. No part of my mind goes, oh, God, they're clapping for you. Keep going. Are you kidding me? I'm not a dog. I can't serve with the strings attached to maybe they'll bless me in the process or maybe they'll applaud me or maybe they'll like me. Maybe they'll follow me. Can you serve someone who's not like you? That's gonna get in the nitty gritty now. Can you, can you serve someone who's different than you, who doesn't think like you? Can you serve someone that you don't agree with? 
No, I didn't say, can you work with them? Can you serve them? Can you get beneath somebody that's different than you? Someone opposite of you. Can you serve somebody who's not godly? Can you serve somebody who's not a spiritual figure in your life that's not a spiritual authority? Can you serve somebody that you think is not anointed? Can you be Joseph and serve under a wicked Pharaoh? You want to read that story and forget. Joseph was God's man and Pharaoh was this wicked pedophile freak. We forget all these things. We, we, don't, we don't even consider that Joseph was in a position ordained of God to serve under somebody. Joseph wasn't driven by his dream either. Joseph was driven to help fulfill Pharaoh's dream. And in fulfilling Pharaoh's dream, he found his. Can you be David and keep your harp in hand while you're dodging javelins from jealous Saul? Can you serve under somebody that's after you? Can, you? can we do what Jesus did and get down from the table and wash the feet of somebody that's about to walk out with those feet and betray you? Can you wash the feet of somebody that's gonna kiss you on the cheek and stab you in the back in the Garden of Gethsemane? Can you, can you serve someone who's not saved? I remember when I was out of ministry, I was still programmed internally as a Christian where I couldn't escape my Christian values no matter how much I tried to tank my morals, no matter how I tried to lose my compass. I, I couldn't ever really get away from who I was in Christ. Even when I went read my Bible, went praying, went going to church, stopped preaching, gave up on it, and was questioning whether it was all real, I still couldn't get away from who I really was. And I got into the workforce in the secular world, and, and, and I approached the whole thing like I approach it like, okay, I know what is biblical here. I know what actually works. I'm gonna serve this company. I got in this big, big precious metals company. I, you know, they hired a homeless guy to hold the sign. I was so broke, so desperate living with my parents. I applied for the sign holder job making $10 an hour on Craigslist. They gave it to a homeless guy named Craig. And, 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 I, and, and then they called me back two weeks later and said, hey, man, you're overqualified. Uh, would you at least like to work the store and be the manager? And dude, I, let me tell you something. As the manager, I took care of that dude who, who held that sign. And I served him. I noticed he didn't have, he, didn't have, uh, he was, wasn't wearing his shoes half the time because he didn't have soles in his shoes. So I got him some shoes. And then I got him some soles to go into his shoes. I noticed he didn't have transportation, so I figured out a way to convince the CEO of the company to buy him a van. Now, it was a piece of crud, but it worked. It didn't have any side view mirrors, so we took a little handheld mirror and we duct taped it to the side. And, you know, it didn't have a seat over here, so we put a bucket on. I mean, we, we made it happen for this guy. And, and I had the same approach. Now, here's, here's what's crazy. That's just the, that's the entree. Oh, that's the appetizer of this story. The entree is this. The, the CEO... Was, there was not a saved spiritual bone in his body. He didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't think the Bible was real. He, his argument was, with all the religions in the world, how do you even know yours is right? So I didn't try to distance myself with a spirit of vision because he wasn't like me. You know what I did? I treated him like he was my pastor. 
I did. What I was introduced to and what I was taught biblically is when you serve along somebody and you serve under a man of God, a pastor, a spiritual figure and authority in your life, you, 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 you serve with them. You serve them. So I, I had that Elisha, Elijah mentality. How can I make this guy's life better? How can I add value to the, what he's created in this company? He's giving me an opportunity to be a part of it. How can I serve him? Look, I treated this guy like he was a spiritual figure in my life, even though he wasn't even though that nothing spiritual ever walked out of his mouth. I caught his vision. Okay, what do you see for this company? What do you want to be? We got six stores. How many do you want? I want 50. Where do you want them? Georgia, Carolina. I want to make this happen. We're going to be the second biggest gold buyer in the Southeast. We're never going to catch up with the first one, but we'll be the second biggest one. And I want to do it this way. And we're going to, and, and all right, I caught it. How do you want the stores to look? I can keep the policies, procedures. I'll, I'll keep your standards. Who do I have to fire? Who do we have to hire? How do I have to train? What I, I just lived it and breathed it with him. I was willing to work on Saturdays. I didn't want to work on Saturdays. I was willing to work on Saturdays. There was even times I had to draw a line and say, look, I can't work on Sundays because I'm going to church. At first, I didn't care. Eventually, hey, I'm going to church. I can't work on Sundays. I established God gave me favor. He gave me influence with this guy. I ran personal errands for him. I made deliveries. My God, I, don't, I might have delivered drugs for this guy, for all I know. There were times I pulled up on pieces of property with a box, and he said, just take it in, stand at the gate, ask for Julio. When the Dobermans show up, don't go inside. He'll probably be down in the bowling alley. Dead serious. Dead serious. Don't even look at his Bentley. He'll cut you off at the knees. What's in the box? He just looked at me. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I tried my best to serve under this guy. How can I add to what this guy's doing? I didn't, I didn't sit there and try to figure out, well, how does this fit in to me starting a church and getting in the ministry? And how do I leverage these people? To, no, it was, what can I do where I'm at? God, for whatever reason, has me with this guy, these people, ain't none of them saved. Don't none of them have a freaking clue about Jesus. And I do, and I'm not living. Living it. By the way, when I started this church, the first service in the movie theater, six people from that company drove from Loganville, Georgia, and got saved. I ended up going into his house, watching security. He trusted me with his life. I sat at his table, ate his food. I just tried, I just served him. How can I help this guy? And that's the mentality I had just with work. Servanthood is not about getting beside someone. Sometimes servanthood is about getting beneath someone. Moses was surrounded by Aaron and Hur. They were beside him. They were also beneath him because they held his hands up. Servanthood is getting beneath somebody. Jesus went down and he washed the disciples' feet. Now, washing feet's a dirty job. Washing feet is the last place anyone wants to be. But if it's the last place most people want to be, it's probably the first place you need to be. I'm going to say that again. Y'all didn't hear me. If it's the last place most people want to be, it's probably the first place you as a servant need to be. Hey, wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He got what was on them on him. He took it from them. He took it for them. 
And this is a beautiful picture of Christ foreshadowing what he would do on the cross when he would take their filth and uncleanliness upon himself. He would get dirty so they could be clean. He would become unholy so they could become holy. Ladies and gentlemen, servanthood sometimes is getting what's on people on you. It is a dirty job to serve people because it's you beneath them and it's your hands on their feet and it's the lowest part of them. It's the filthiest part of them. And if you're not prepared to see the dirty side of humanity, stay out of serving people. Because you'll see the ugly, you'll see the gruesome, you'll see the bad. I said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. You know what keeps me humble? A memory and a mirror. So it always keeps me working with people, serving people, loving people. Why? Because you got to be willing to wear somebody else's dirt. I'm done. Listen to this. <clears throat> After he washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he asked him a question. He said, do y'all know what I just did to you? You call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Lead like a servant leads. So counterintuitive to our culture. When I think of leader, I think of them washing his feet. When I think of leader, I think of them following him. And he sets aside himself, gets down, abases himself in a place of decrease, and he washes their dirty feet and then he says, this is what you're supposed to do to each other. Jesus led by example because he served by example. Do what I have done for you. Servants are vested in the interest of others. Servants are vested in the interest of others. Have you ever been to a restaurant and had bad service? There are some places I won't go. Because I, I don't just go for the price. I don't just go for the food. I go for the experience. A lot of times I go to Atlanta. That's right. If it's $3 signs on Yelp, chances are it's a good experience. Is it worth it? Depends. What kind of service am I going to get there? How, if, I book, if I book a table, how long am I going to stand there and wait on the table I've already booked? Right? You, you, let me tell you something. There are some places they just need to do takeout and carry out. They don't got no business nobody walking up in there because they're not prepared for you. They don't want you to come. You ever been, you ever been through a drive through window and you know she didn't want you to order that food? She was mad you showed up. She was mad she had to work and she had to work for you. It's like you frustrated her just looking at your face, your hungry face wanting food. You know some of them people, they just, they just want to just go off the grid for 30 seconds. You pull up, they take that 32-ounce big gold, fire in the hole, and throw it in your car. <laughs> a good server, a good server is vested in your interest. Waiter, waitress, forget that. Let's not identify by the sex here. Let's just call them what they are. They're servers. And a good server is vested in your interest. A good server is vested in the interest of others. I wrote this down. A good server waits on others. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? 
I'm here for you. That's why I'm standing here with this table, with this order. I'm here for you. A good server watches you. A good server won't let you get all the way down to the bottom. Now, I drink my sweet tea like a camel. Bless God, it's down in no time. But a good server will catch that. He looks hungry. He looks thirsty. He was very aggressive. His, his drink went on the table. He didn't wait for condensation. He turned that thing up. I got to be on this one. I got to, look, I got to be on this one. It's not just a tip. Maybe, maybe, maybe I look beyond a tip. Maybe I look beyond the ticket. Maybe I look beyond the tab. Maybe this is an opportunity to serve somebody. A good server isn't just looking at right now. They're also looking what's next. I'm going to shine here, washing your feet because I may be running this whole joint and serving the rest of this floor. If I can be faithful with a few things, if I can be faithful with the minor leagues, I'll probably be able to play on the field in the major leagues. They watch for you. What do you need next? In fact, a good server knows what you need before you even know you're going to need it. Oh, that joker won't need extra napkins. Nobody bring, now a good server's not going to bring you a plate of chicken wings without a moist towelette. A good server won't. I can't assume that you're going to want that that's not a real napkin. That's like a hand towel. You know, and now I like napkins because I can get the napkin, throw it aside and crumble up. I got a pile sitting here. But that thing, the stains on there, it gets in my clothes. I turn it over, forget about it. Crap! I need a moist towelette. A good server is going to recognize that. Are you with me? A good server will work for you. I can't remember the last time I was at a restaurant and I had to go dump my own dishes. Right? I have, now look, I have walked in a restaurant that will remain unnamed. I have walked in, and it was so much pandemonium going on there, I had to go behind the bar and get my own coffee. Go find my own Heinz 57 for my Texas pack. Oops, shoot, shut up. <laughs> remain unnamed. <laughs> Not here. Is that a state? Doesn't matter where it's at. A good server's working for you. Oh, wait a second. What if... This server mentality existed in our homes, in our marriages. See, good service can be taught. I can teach you with the hands how to follow procedure, protocol, process, all that stuff. But servanthood is caught in the heart. Can't, you can't teach servanthood. You can teach service, but you can't teach servanthood. Servanthood is caught, not taught. It happens in the heart. And when someone catches servanthood, they serve not just people, they serve a purpose. They serve a higher purpose. A true servant understands the why. I know why I do this. Not just who I do it for, not just what I'm doing, not just when I do it. I get the why. I know there is a higher purpose attached to what I'm serving. And there's no higher purpose than serving the Lord and people he died for. Yes. We need a spirit of servanthood to catch in our homes. The homes will find order when we submit one to another. Oh, you better remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5. He says, submit yourselves one to another. 
Because true submission is a servant move. Servant move. It establishes a pattern for children to follow. When they see mom and dad pursuing a spirit of servanthood in the home, not what have you done for me lately, not what have I done, not what have you done for me yesterday, what can I do for you now? A spirit of servanthood that exists in the home. It establishes a pattern for children to grow up and they see it and they learn from it and they understand my home is in order, not in disorder because my parents strive to serve one another. They should grow up seeing us serve one another instead of living so divided because the marriage lacks submission and it's ruled by selfishness. The spirit of servanthood needs to catch in our church. It needs to catch at new grace because this is the mark of a true church that leads like Jesus. People have a heart to serve others. It's a game changer. It's a game changer when the people in this room start putting others before themselves and they put themselves last in line. What if we began to approach every area of our church with a spirit of servanthood? We poured ourselves into the mold in the form of a true servant. That's what's wrong with the church today. Is people come here and they want their preferences met, they want their opinions validated. They want their wants. And they come in, does it have this? Does it have that? Well, they're not doing this the way I want it. What if we came in with the mentality and the objective to come in palms down instead of palms up? How can I make this church better than it was when I found it and when it found me? How can I add to it instead of keep taking from it? What does this church get when it gets me? Am I just watching? Am I just enjoying all the benefits that somebody else is working to do? Or am I making this place what it is? Do I play a role? Am I serving? Am I watching for the needs of others? Do I only magnetically gravitate to the same circle of people every single week? Or am I missing? Am I noticing the wonderful opportunity of people that come in here lifeless and dead and hopeless in the world and they need an answer and that answer is Jesus but I'm so bombarded with my own sphere of influence that I've missed the opportunity to impact somebody's life. Waiting, how can I help you, Lord? How may I serve you? Watching, what does this church need? Working, I'll get busy. I'll get busy. I'll do something for God. I'll be involved here. I'll lead a group. I'll serve with children. If it's the last place most people want to be, it's probably the first place you need to be. Where do I start? And God points to feet. Where do I get in? And God points to feet. According to Jesus, According to what he says, serving others leads you into a happy place. Come on, Jake, help me close. Serving Jesus leads you into a happy place. The Bible says in verse 17, if you know these things, 
It's not enough to know it. Now, here's the deal. Everybody in the room now knows it. It's not enough to know it. Happy are you if you do them. Serving others leads you into a happy place. You want to be a happy person? Of course, nobody in this room's like, sign me up for the line of sadness. If you want to be a happy person, serve God and others before you serve yourself. This is what Jesus taught, it's what he said. It's what he displayed and demonstrated when he led by serving others. Throw yourself on the, on the table in front of God and say, Lord, I'm available. I'm available. And I'm willing to set myself aside. I'm willing to wrap myself in humility. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the people I work with, the people that I live with. I'm willing to take the church in which I'm a part of and I'm willing to get beneath the people that need to be above me. And I understand that it's not an easy thing to love people. It's sometimes a difficult thing, but I'm making myself available so I may serve the Lord and I may serve others. Stand with me.